Say your prayers. Say your prayers. What's up, everybody? How we doing tonight? Doing good. You guys are looking good tonight. You guys, have you done something different with your hair? You're looking good tonight. Hey, I am Connor. Uh, I work in the uh, young adults department with volunteers. I'm also really bad at jokes, as you just uh, as you just got to see. Hey, look look to your neighbor and say, Hey, I've seriously prayed all week that I get to sit beside of you tonight. Now look to your second choice. Look to your second choice and say, we'll, we'll see if this thing works out for next week. You're a little questionable. We'll see if this thing works out. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Hey, by a show of hands, how many people got to attend the Red Conference over the weekend? Was that not one of the most incredible experiences of your life? And hey, from the bottom of our heart, can we give it up for Jesse Davis who crushed it on Saturday? Dude, she seriously brought the house down. It was amazing. And guys, if I'm being honest, when they asked me to speak after the Red Conference, I was like, awesome. That's great. I get to follow some of the best speakers in the world. This is really going to go well for me. Um, no, but I honestly was kind of freaked out because I was like, how do I share a stage with these people? And, I, and then, then God kind of told me something. He was like, no, man, like, let Red Conference like, set the bar for you. Like, let Red Conference set the new standard. I honestly believe that this past weekend wasn't just a mountaintop experience. It's the new standard. It's new ground zero. And I honestly believe that from this weekend, God wants to build off of what happened. And if you believe me and if you agree with me, would you say amen? Awesome, awesome. Guys, I'm so pumped and I'm so honored to be up here. And we are starting our new series called Sinners Sing Hallelujah. And our goal for the entire series is simply this. The deeper that we pursue God, the less attractive the world becomes to us. The deeper we pursue God, the more we know God, the more we see him for who he really is, the less attractive the world becomes to us, and God starts to become the most fulfilling and all-satisfying thing we can ever experience in our entire life. And tonight, um, I'm going to come out of the gate swinging a little bit. Uh, I'm just fired up. This has been on my heart for a month or two. Um, so tonight, I'm honestly believing that we're going to walk out of here with some chains that have fallen off people. I'm believing in faith that we're going to walk out of here different than the way we came in. I believe that you can come in however you want, but don't expect to say the same because God loves you too much to keep you that way. And so if you came in here not expecting anything, uh, I got some news for you. You're going to be different by the time you walk out the door. And I just want to know if everybody is going to agree with me in that. And again, if you are with me and you're believing that God's going to show up tonight, would you say amen? amen. Awesome. Guys, um, my message tonight is entitled this. It's entitled, Greater Joy, Lesser Desires. Greater, greater Joy, Lesser Desires. And if there's a subtitle, it would be this, Defeating Sin with All-Consuming Joy. Defeating Sin with All-Consuming Joy. Can we pray? Father God, I'm so humbled to be up here sharing with my friends, my peers, my coworkers, um, something that you've put in my heart, something that you've erupted into my heart. And God, I pray from the most sincere 
place that you would just empty me and that you would speak through me. And God, if somebody's in here and they're going through something, would you raise them up to a new level? And God, if there's a Christian in here that's been walking their entire life without any joy, would you show them that you are the most fulfilling, pleasing, amazing thing in the entire world? God, and I'm just believing that if somebody came in here tonight and they don't know you, they didn't know you, that you are going to show them how good and amazing and how beautiful you really are, and you're going to love them forever, both right now and for all of eternity. God, we love you so much, and it's in Jesus' name we say for the third and final time, amen. Awesome, guys. So if you have your Bibles, will you turn to two different places? We're going to get real spiritual tonight. We're not just going to one. We're going to go to two. Colossians 1. And John 15, go to Colossians 1 first, and then mark John 15 with your thumb. If you, if you, the more places you mark in your Bible, the more spiritual you are. So I wanted to take you guys up to another level. We're going to go to two places tonight. Um, Colossians 1 and John 15, but I, I want to be up front with you guys tonight. I want to be up front, and I, I want to share my heart. What I'm preaching on tonight has absolutely turned my life completely upside down. What I'm preaching on tonight, it's nothing new. It's nothing that's going to just like be mind-blowing, but it's something that just for whatever reason hasn't been highlighted to me. And when, it, when God highlighted it, it has literally revolutionized my walk as a Christian. It's revolutionized my walk in conquering and defeating sin, and it's amazing. And what I'm going to be talking to you about tonight specifically is overcoming sin by glorifying God and enjoying Him specifically enjoying him. And I know that joy is a word that kind of gets tossed around a lot. Like, man, I really enjoyed that steak last night for dinner. Or how in the world does anybody enjoy being a vegan? Any hippies in here? How does somebody enjoy being a vegan? But I was spending some time with God just on my day off. I was listening to a podcast, and I don't really do that that often, but I was listening to a podcast, and this concept of joy just jumped out at me like it never had before, and God showed me something. He said, joy in a Christian's life isn't the exception. It should be the standard. Joy, full joy in a Christian's life shouldn't be the exception. It should be the standard of how we operate as Christians. And so I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit. Let's read Colossians 1, 15 through 18. This is um, entitled The Preeminence of Christ, and it's one of my favorite sections in all of the Bible. Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, Jesus might be preeminent. And we're laying a foundation here we're seeing that Jesus who is God made all things but not only did he make all things all things are for him but not only are all things for him he is preeminent in all things and that word preeminent simply means this it means that in everything Jesus surpasses it all that in everything he is distinguished above everything in everything the highest value of everything comes from Jesus 
And so that's going to be the foundation that we kind of look back to in, in a minute. But I'll, I want to jump in and read uh, John 15, 8 through 11 as well. I told you we're doing two. We're getting spiritual. Um, in, this, in this section of Scripture, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And this is where we have the, uh, the vine and the branches parable. But we're going to jump in in verse 8. And it says this. By this my Father is glorified. How do we glorify the Father? By this. That you bear much fruit. And you prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide, rest, stay in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now I want you to circle this, underline this, highlight this, tattoo it on your forehead. This, is, this will change the way you walk with Jesus. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Not in heaven. He's talking about right now. These things I have said. What things? If you keep my commandments, my joy will be on you. I will be glorified, and my joy will be on you, and your joy right now, your happiness, your joy will be full. And I want to pick this apart really quick before we really kind of dive into what I want to talk about. Um, what he's saying here is this. We glorify God by bearing fruit and keeping his commandments. That's what he said in the beginning. As we obey God, we abide, we rest, we stay in his love, and it brings him glory. And because it brings him glory, he then sets his joy in us. And so what we can say we, what we can kind of conclude in that is this, by glorifying and loving God, our joy becomes most full. By glorifying and loving God and keeping his commandments, our joy becomes most full. And this leads me to my first point, and this is actually going to be the majority of my message, is this. We conquer sin by enjoying God. Any sin you're struggling with in your life, no matter how dark, no matter how long, is conquered by simply enjoying God. And so I, I, I want you to, I, I have a question, it's pretty simple. How many people here would say, uh, I enjoy things? Do you enjoy things? If you haven't raised your hand, I feel really sorry for you. You should enjoy at least something in life. Um, but what does it mean to enjoy something? What, is, what does it mean to enjoy something? What is joy? Um, for our purposes tonight, I kind of looked at a couple of dictionaries, and this is kind of what I gathered. Um, joy is this. It's a feeling of great pleasure, of happiness, and of satisfaction. Joy is a feeling of great pleasure, of great happiness, and great satisfaction. And this kind of got me thinking, and, and I want you to track with me here. This kind of got me thinking. Um, Okay, so joy in God is awesome, but it, since I'm a Christian, if I'm a Christian, and joy is supposed to be this huge part of my life, and it's supposed to be a, an anchor of my walk with Jesus, why, as a Christian, do I still sin? Why, as a Christian, do I still sin? I, I don't know why. I was just kind of pondering that. And I, I try to get real spiritual, if I'm being honest. I try to get pretty spiritual about my answer, and this is what I said. Um... Well, the reason that I sin uh, as a Christian is because I was born into this world a sinner. That is my identity, right? I was born into this world a sinner. 
Well, Romans 6.6 6 actually says that our old self was crucified with Christ, and so our body of sin may be done away with. And so what's that, what that's saying is, although you were born in this world a sinner, as a Christian, you died and resurrected, and Jesus didn't, you didn't die with Jesus just to be resurrected as a sinner again. You're a new creation. And so you don't sin because you are a sinner, because Jesus doesn't die to make you the same thing you just were. He makes you a new thing. Is anybody following me? Okay, I feel like I'm up here alone. I, you can say amen, hallelujah, bring it every once in a while. Okay. All right. <laughs> so why do, I, why do I sin as a Christian? The second thing that I thought was super spiritual and pretty pious is, well, my heart, my heart is wicked. I have a wicked heart, and I can't trust my heart. And, and there's elements to that to some degree that are true, but Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, and it's forecasting the salvation that comes through Jesus. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And on top of that, Hebrews 3.12 says that, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Now, what does that mean? My heart can't be totally wicked because what Ezekiel says is that the exchange that takes place when I become a Christian is my heart of stone that can't commune with God is now turned into a heart that can commune with God. And Hebrews tells me to guard my heart from evil, which must mean that there is some type of good that I'm protecting in my heart. Does that make sense? Okay, so why as a Christian do I sin? Do I continue to sin? Very long answer, short and simple, because it's enjoyable, right? If we're all being honest, we sin because it's enjoyable. It feels good. You don't go up to a grill that's on high and continually put your hand on that grill. Why? That hurts. That doesn't feel good. There's nothing satisfying about continually burning the crap out of your hand. But what we do do, why we do go to our sin, is because we find some type of temporary joy. We find some type of temporary satisfaction. It fulfills some type of desire that we have. And I'm going to say something here, and I want you guys to track with me. Give me a chance before you write me off here. I want to say something. Your desires that you have that lead you to sin, your desires in and of themselves aren't totally wrong. And, and, and this is what I mean. I don't want you to misunderstand me. This is what I mean. I want to read um, Colossians again. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created, including you. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, all things were created through him and for him. He's before all things. In him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So by Jesus, all things were created. Nothing that exists came into being without Jesus giving his stamp of approval. And not only did he just create it, he said, these things are made for me. And not are they, they're not just made for for him. They're made to make him the most beautiful and glorious uh, uh, type of worship that, that he can have. Everything was created to find its purpose in Jesus and to glorify him. Well, what does this mean? What does this mean about my sin? You couldn't desire sex if God didn't make you to have sex. You couldn't overeat if God didn't make food taste incredible. For real. 
Anybody love to overeat? I'll be honest. I go home for Thanksgiving at my grandma's house, and I'm like, poor, I'm on like round number five. It's, you could roll me to the couch. Like, that's, that's where I'm at. No, no. The problem, though, is when we use a created thing in a way that the creator didn't intend. All of us would agree that if Jesus is God, he probably created everything. However, the problem we run into and the problem that we have to face, the reality that we have to face is not only did he create it, but it was created for him. Everything was created for him. And that means if we want to experience this kind of joy that John talks about in chapter 15, that means that we now have to live our lives in a way that he says is best. Because we are created, everything is created, and even our desires in our heart are created from a good place, a purpose that had an original intention to make Jesus preeminent. Are we tracking? Okay, and as a Christian... Most of our desires, to the answer to most of these desires that we have, immediately we try to kill that desire. We try to kill it because to us, it, it, even if it brings us to a place that's even remotely close to a bad thing, we just try to kill it. I want to hopefully set somebody free tonight by saying this. Did you know that it's not sinful to desire sexual intimacy with somebody? Did you know you were made to do that? You are made to want to have sex and closeness with somebody. Did you know that as a guy, it's not sinful to come into young adults to see a beautiful girl and say, hey, she's attractive? That's not a sin. That is a desire that God put in your heart. The way it becomes a sin is, the way, is, is where you allow it to go, whether you allow yourself to set your joy in that thing or not. See, see, that's a good thing. John 15 says that if we obey his commands, like what does that really mean? That just means if we live our lives the way he says to, we'll abide in his love and his joy will be in us and it will, keep, and it will overflow. I think we get mixed up because the heart of Christianity isn't about abstaining from things. The heart, about the heart of Christianity isn't about staying away from every little thing, abstaining from every little thing. The heart of Christianity is that Jesus Christ died to reconcile you, to enjoy things the way they were originally intended to be, and Him being the ultimate source of joy and satisfaction. That is the heart of what we believe. If you call yourself a Christian, you're not an abstainer. You are an indulger of good things, specifically God himself. And I think that's why we see so many miserable Christians walking around today. Have you ever, like, had a conversation with a Christian? Like, have you ever literally just walked up to somebody and said, how are you doing? Most Christians are miserable, absolutely miserable oh man you know what i'm telling you what man suffering for the lord but amen and i uh, don't have any joy but man one day in heaven dude they're miserable that is the least attractive relationship with god i ever want to be a part of most holy spirit filled like hear me when i say this because i'm not just trying to be like condescending I, I want you to hear this most holy spirit filled 
Jesus died on a cross, shed his blood to redeem you of your sin. Christians walk around miserable every single day because they think to be a good Christian means that they have to sacrificially and with this fake slavish obedience uh, just abstain from every desire of their heart, abstain from everything so they don't tick God off. And maybe one day if they make it into heaven, they'll smile for the first time. Doesn't that sound like a totally miserable life? But John 15 says what? If we keep his commands, that is a verb. That is active. That isn't just avoiding wrong, but that is participating in the good. That is doing good things. And it's because when you do good, when you obey his commandments, it makes you more like Christ. And when you become more like Christ, you give him more glory. And in return, uh, when, when you give God more glory, he he makes you joyful. We just read that. It's this cycle. It's this cycle. The more you become like Jesus, the more glorified God is, and the more glorified God is, the more full your joy is, and that just means that you want to glorify God more because if he's the source of your joy, you want to get more joy, so you're going to make Jesus more beautiful. You're going to, you're going to raise the cross. You're going to raise your salvation. You're going to talk to people about what he's done in your life, and you know what that does? That makes you joyful. But so many people walk around with, like, like with this burden, like, like being a Christian is such a burden to them. Like it's such a sacrifice to have all your sins paid for and to get heaven forever and spend eternity with God. Man. But did you know that God benefits absolutely nothing by your sacrifice? Like absolutely zero. God benefits in no way by your sacrifice. What he's looking for is your love. He's looking for your heart. He's looking for your joy. And if you are always begrudgingly obeying your Bible, you've missed the entire point of everything. It's not begrudging obedience. God is for your joy. He doesn't just want you to abstain from things. He wants you to have passion for things. He wants you, he wants you to tap into the recreated person that wants to glorify God. And he wants you to get joy out of making him more beautiful. And we think that if we want to conquer sin, we just have to painstakingly white-knuckle willpower our way to not sin, to not do that one thing. And we miss one of the most powerful weapons that God has given us to overcome sin and it's this you indulge your heart in true joy when was the last time you've indulged in something you want to hear I've indulged in a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream I ate way too much I ate so much I felt sick that's what indulging is when you indulge in something you just you just give you just takes so much of it that it almost feels like it's too much. And the greatest, one of the greatest weapons we have as Christians is indulging our heart in true joy. But I, I, I want to tell you something. This doesn't mean that your personal happiness is the highest form of good in life. The world will tell you to chase after your personal happiness. Chase after, chase after your joy. Man, get yours at any cost. Don't let anybody judge you. Don't let anybody tell you what you're doing is wrong because your personal happiness is the most important thing in the world. That is the dumbest thing I have ever heard that is so illogical. If you literally thought about it for one minute, you could debunk almost every single part of that. What it means to indulge your heart 
is, is this. You flip it. It's not that your joy is the highest form of good in life. But God says that if you will pursue the highest form of good, which is him, which is Jesus, which is his Holy Spirit, you will never be lacking for joy. If you pursue your own joy as the highest form of good, you're going to be disappointed every single time. But when you, when you chase after the highest form of good, you will never leave dissatisfied. John 15, if you keep my commands, if you keep them, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, my joy, my happiness, my satisfaction may be in you and that your joy, your happiness, your satisfaction may be full. Your personal satisfaction and pleasure isn't the mark. But God says that if you'll chase the mark, if you chase him, if you come after him, if you keep his commandments, if you actively keep his commandments, joy is going to follow you. You've got no choice. It's going it's to make you full. And that seriously changes absolutely everything about our dynamic with our relationship with God, especially our dynamic with our relationship with sin. Why? Because it is now to your benefit to fight off that temptation. If keeping God's commandments brings you joy and makes your joy full, then not doing that means that your joy will not be full and it will steal something from you. And so often when we face a temptation, it's because we think there's something in here that I want. There's something in here that I need. Uh, th th there's some type of pleasure. There's some type of joy in this that I'm looking for. But when, when, when obeying God's commandments is when he tells you, when keeping his commandments in a loving way, when saying yes to God because he created everything, everything was for him, and he's preeminent in everything, when keeping his commandments brings joy to you, Temptation has nothing to offer you anymore. Your joy is the key to overcoming sin. You don't overcome sin to get joy. Joy is what you use to overcome sin. Are we vibing? Okay. I'm just seeing some blank stares. I want to make sure y'all are tracking. And I'm sure some of you guys are sitting in your seat right now and, and you're saying, hey, man. This sounds good. This is cute. This is good preaching material. But what, what, what happens when I walk out the door tonight and those same desires that I have creep back up? You're saying that God gave me desires and I have a track record of using them incorrectly. Uh, and this sounds really cool. This sounds like if I obey, um, and you told me don't ignore these desires, but you said if I obey, then God will make me full and I won't be looking for fullness in these things. How in the world does that make sense out in the real world? Um, I, want to, I want to tell you something about your passions, your desires, before, before I go in this example. C.S. Lewis said something, and it's amazing. He said this. He said, the, pro the problem isn't that we have desires. The problem is that we don't desire things strong enough. The problem isn't that you desire sex. You don't desire sex strong enough. Because if you actually desired sex, you'd want to do it the way that God told you to do it because you know that there's more joy in that than compromising and doing anything else. You don't actually desire a true release from life because if you did desire real release and you wanted it real bad, you'd go to God instead of smoking or, or, drink, or overindulging on the weekends. You don't want it bad enough. 
And C.S. Lewis said this, and I want you to take this to heart because it rang in my heart for a while. We are far too easily satisfied. We have eternal joy on this side, and so often we cash it in for one or two seconds, one or two moments of temporary pleasure. But I want to I get back to that idea. Okay, so how is this? How are these desires? If my desires aren't strong enough, and I'm going to walk out of this room, and I'm going to have these desires... And you're saying, oh, it's not that I have desires, it's just that they're not strong enough. How, how is that going to play out in my real life? I'm going to talk to the men in here tonight, because I'm a man, okay? Makes sense. I'm going to talk to the men in here tonight, and we're going to specifically talk about sexual desires, okay? How do you deal with those sexual desires? If Jesus made everything, and everything was made for him, and it was made to glorify him, and if we act that way, our joy is going to be full, how do we treat sexual desires when we get out of here? Step one, read your Bible. I'm not joking. Read your Bible. If you read your Bible, then you will know what God commands. You'll know how to keep those commands, and then your joy will be full. That's step one of dealing with your desire for sexual intimacy before you're married. Step two, find accountability. The devil loves nothing more than picking off Christians that think they're a one-man army. I'm being serious. Where in an army do you see a solo soldier? Nowhere. Because they're a sitting duck. And so many of us in here, guys and girls included, are going through so much. And because we want to put on a good face, we don't tell anybody about it. Dude, you are in prison to yourself. Find accountability. And yes, this is all dealing with sexual desires as a guy. This, this, is, this is how you handle it God's way. Number three, get a job. Half of you wouldn't be tempted to look at something on a screen if you were actually out there working. And you had something else to do. I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. Get a job. Number four, go up to her in person and ask her out. In person. Don't, please don't text her or have your friend do that. We have youth on Wednesday nights if that's what you want to do. I'm coming out swinging, I told you. Ask her out in person. And, and again, remember, this is we're keeping God's commands. We're, we're, we're indulging in the good. We're, we're, we're filling our joy tonight. Ask her out in person. Number five, dress nicely. Go buy some good clothes. Dress nicely. Dress nicely. I'm being serious. Go buy some new jeans. Go buy a new shirt with your job that you got. Get some new clothes. Number six. Pick her up at her house and meet her parents. And what I mean by that is not this. Hi, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. My name is Connor. I want to court your daughter, and I've got a seven-year plan that I want to talk to you about. That is weird. And if any guy comes to my, comes to my door when I have a daughter saying about courting her and their seven-year plan, I'm calling the police. What I'm saying is this. Introduce yourself. Let them know that you're a decent person and that, you are, that you're going to take care of their daughter on your date. You're saying, what does this have anything to do with, with keeping God's commands and, and fi finding joy? Because you're taking that energy that you want to sell short for, and every single time you do things the way God says, every single time you're obedient to what God says to do, he's going to fill you up with joy, fill you up with joy, fill you up with joy until you get to this point. Wait, th this is the last one. When the date goes well, 
and you're both looking good, and you put on two sprays of polo black, and she's looking at you, and she's giving you them eyes. And that thought comes in your head. If we get dessert, maybe something will happen. Maybe we can go back to her house and take this a little farther. You will overcome that temptation because in all the previous steps, you've been doing exactly what God has told you to do. And so when you enter that moment, when you are in that moment, your joy is already full. And that temptation to go back home with her, that temptation to do something you know you're not supposed to do, doesn't really have anything to offer you anymore because you know that if you follow God and you're doing exactly what God tells you to do, your joy is going to be full. And that is not a good thing that she wants to take you home. That is, an, that is something trying to rob you of your joy. And you can say, hey girl, I know I'm looking good. I know I'm looking fly. I've been doing P90X. I worked out for you. I put my cologne on. But not tonight because you just don't have something to offer me that's better than what I've already found in obeying Jesus. God wants to desperately give you fullness of joy because when we're happy, when we're truly happy, it means that we found God as the most satisfying, enjoyable thing in the entire world. When we have joy, I'm talking real joy, not just in heaven, like right now, when we have joy, it's only because we found God to be the most beautiful, incredible, all-consuming thing our hearts could ever want in our life. We conquer sin by enjoying God. We conquer sin by enjoying God. Point number two, if you're taking notes. True repentance will bring joy. True repentance will bring joy. And this is what I mean. I think as Christians, we need to be a lot better at repentance, but not in the way that you think. I think Christians are amazing at saying I'm sorry. I think we're incredible at not doing things. I think we're really, really good at recognizing the things we're not supposed to do. And if we do do them, we do an incredible job of saying, I'm sorry. But I want you to think of it this way. I'm going to give you an example, and I, and I hope this works. How many, people on here, how many people in here have ever been on a diet? Anyone? A diet. I tried to be on a diet all the time. It never works. Um, no, if, if you've ever tried to be on a diet, I, take this analogy for what it's worth. Imagine on this side of the stage is a table. And on this table, we have everything in the world that's delicious. Donuts, McDonald's cheese sticks. Why McDonald's does cheese sticks? Who knows? But we have, we have food, we have uh, burgers, we have fries, we have milkshakes, we have ice cream, we have tacos and burritos covered in green chili. We've got it all on this side. But we're on a diet, and this represents sin. <laughs> and on this side of the stage, you have your vegetables, you have your fruit, you have your chicken, you have your steak, you have your fish, things that can be delicious if cooked correctly. <laughs> and we're on a diet. And most Christians repent like this. 
They know they're not supposed to be over at this table, and so they do this. They just step backwards and stare at it. But for real, most people, most Christians, when they repent, they don't actually turn and indulge in the good thing. They just see the table over here of what they think is best for them, and they just step back and stare at it. And think about this. If we're actually on a diet, what would happen if I don't eat anything from here, but I don't turn and eat anything from here either? I'm eventually going to die of starvation. And so many Christians are so miserable because they are dying of starvation. They, they haven't turned away from their sin. They've just taken a step back and look at it. But if they would just turn and take part and indulge in what is over here, their lives would be totally different. So many Christians are dying of starvation. And I want to just share my heart with you for a minute. Man, I was dying of starvation a couple months ago. Man, I, was, I, I wanted so desperately to obey God, but it was the most dry, miserable relationship. And I, and I don't know what sparked it in me, but, but, but I know this. Man, I was made for something so much more, and a light clicked. And I knew that if, if, God, if I keep God's commands because he made everything, these desires in my heart that I have, if, if I channeled them towards God because he created them, and if I use them to glorify Jesus because they're for him, and if I see Jesus is more beautiful than all the things my heart could want, then my joy would be full in obeying him. And then it wouldn't struggle really that much to overcome these things that are tempting me to rob my joy because I've already got joy because it's found in Jesus. Guys, this is real. God's good. And he's better. He's better than what you're selling out to. He's better than what you're exchanging to. So many Christians sitting in this room right now don't have any idea what I'm talking about because all they've done is taken a step back from the table. They haven't actually turned. And I'm telling you, if you will turn, and you will indulge your heart in the fullest of joy, you will for the first time experience this life with God the way he intended you to make it. The way he intended to make it. You were intended to be passionate. You were intended to have desires. You were intended to give him glory in every single thing. And you were made, C.S. Lewis says, Christians have a duty to be the happiest people on earth. Why? Because God died for your sin. And not only did he die for your sin, he said, if you listen to me, I will fill you with satisfaction and joy. Ben, you guys can come on up. I remembered. <laughs> My final point is this. It's an all-in type of joy. It's an all-in type of joy. So many Christians today wonder why the word has no power in their life. They wonder why they have no joy. They wonder why all these things that Christianity is supposed to be, they wonder why they walk around and they pray and their prayers have no power. When they read the word and they try to, they try to apply the word to their life, it has no power. When they, when they try to believe for a friend, it has no power. It's because this was never intended to be done halfway. 
Jesus didn't say in John, if you keep the commandments you like, my joy will be in you. Sometimes we have to get uncomfortable. Sometimes one of the greatest postures of joy in our heart is saying, God, I am wrong, you are right, and I can't wait to do things your way. This is an all-in kind of thing. God, God's offer for joy isn't to mend the broken pieces of your life. God doesn't fill in the cracks of your life. You don't just sprinkle Jesus on where you need him. What he says is, all of me for all of you. All of my kindness, all of my goodness, all of my grace, all of my joy, all of my pleasure, all of my satisfaction, all of my preeminence, all of my goodness, all of my glory for all of your sin, for all of your shame, for all of your guilt, for all, all of the hate, for all the bad things that you've done. It is an all for all exchange. It is not halfway. Matthew 13, says this. I love this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And in his joy, in his joy, in joy, he sells everything that he has so he can get that treasure. Friends, Jesus is that treasure. And in our joy, we get to empty ourselves and we get to push all of ourselves in and he meets us with all of himself. It is the most unfair exchange in the history of the universe. It is grace. And the amazing thing is this, his grace is for your joy. His grace is for your joy. There might be some people in here tonight. You've been walking with Jesus for a while. And you're like, man, Connor, if I'm being honest, I feel like that miserable Christian you were talking about. I can honestly say that one of the, the cornerstones of my life isn't joy. It's slavish obedience. I, I, I'm, I'm half-heartedly obeying because I still think that there's something on the other side that's better for me. What I'm telling you tonight is if you search your heart and you find that area where you're not fully trusting God and you say, God, I'm going all in. I'm going all in. I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my sexuality. I'm giving you what I want to use for releases. I'm giving you, God, my food intake. I'm giving you anything. I'm giving you my pride. I'm giving you my acceptance. He's going to say, awesome, you get all of me. You get all of me. And I want to encourage you in this. When temptation knocks on your door, when you have all of God, it has absolutely nothing that it can offer you that is better than what you already have. The next time somebody knocks on your door and says, hey, let's, let, somebody calls you and says, hey, let's hook up. Nope, sorry, already got something better. Next time you want to go on your computer screen, nope, sorry, already found something better. Next time you want to go to that party and drink a little too much, sorry, man, that just doesn't do it for me because I found something that is more satisfying. And the more I enjoy it, the more he gets glory. And the more he gets glory, the more he pours out his joy on me. And I become more full of joy. And the more I become full of joy, the more he gets glory. And the more he gets glory, he'll pour out his joy on me. And when he pours out his joy on me, I become happier. And as I become happier, I just look forward to obeying him. And as I obey him, he gets more glory and it never ends. It never ends. 
Can we all stand? There's people in here tonight where Jesus is your Savior, but He's not your Lord. And you're not letting Him be your Lord because you're afraid He's holding out on you. You're afraid that He's not going to give you something that you feel like your heart really desires. I'm going to challenge you tonight. If that's you, and you say, I don't have this joy, but I want it. I want to glorify God so that I can experience fullness of joy in Him. Would you raise your hand boldly? Put it up. There's nothing to be ashamed about about wanting joy in God. I'm going to pray for you in a minute. And if you came in here tonight, you can put your hands down. If you came in here tonight and you've never experienced Jesus, and you came in and you're like, I don't know what all this is about, but you're saying that there's there's joy. I prayed for you earlier today and I prayed that the Holy Spirit would tap on your heart. And if you're feeling something right now, this is, is God just saying, I love you. And I wanna give you joy. And I wanna save you from your sin. And if you've come in here tonight and you've never experienced Jesus, but you want, you've tasted just a little bit of how good he is, I promise you, he will never let you down. He is infinitely better and you will enjoy him, not only for the rest of your life, but throughout all eternity. If you come in here and you say, I want that, I want that Jesus, would you put your hand up? I wanna pray for you. Amen. Band, as you guys begin to play, I'm gonna pray. God, we come before you tonight and we are humbled at how good you are to us. Not only do you take us out of our sin, but you, you lavish us with joy and you tell us to indulge in it because it brings you glory. God, I pray for every Christian that's in here tonight. They've just been stagnant. They accept you as your Lord, as their Lord and Savior, but they've only taken a step back from sin. They haven't actually turned and indulged their heart in your goodness. God, I pray that you would allow them to experience how good you are so that they could taste the joy that comes from obe obeying you. And so the next time sin knocks on their door, they say, hey, so I've, I've got something better. You literally can't offer me anything. And God, I pray for every hand that was raised that doesn't know you. I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would come in and as Ezekiel said, that you would transfer their heart. You would give them a new heart and a new spirit. You would give them a heart from stone to flesh and you would abide in them and you would love them and you would shower them in your love. I pray that you would bring them from death to life and that they would say yes to you and know that they get all of you unadulterated, nothing holding back. They get every single thing that you are when they say yes to you. Jesus, we love you so much and we can't wait to worship you tonight. It's in your precious and your holy name we pray. Amen.